welcome to the sermon webcast of Good News Lutheran Church of Mount Horeb, Wisconsin. The following sermon was preached on March 12, 2017, on the basis of Romans 4, verses 1 through 5 and 13 through 17. You know what's awesome? When the electromagnetic radiation that comes from Earth's closest star travels a long enough path through our atmosphere that the tiny molecules of oxygen and nitrogen actually scatter the visible light that has the shortest wavelength and only allow the visible light that has the longest wavelength to reach our eyes. Isn't that great? You know what else is awesome? When there's this music that has technically been written in a ternary tonal structure, which I think you'd agree is a bit predictable and boring, right? But that ternary tonal structure is actually kind of hidden, and what you hear with your ears is a binary tonal structure. And on top of that, right before the end of the song, the the double meter division switches to a triple meter division, and so as a result, the impression is is given that it's picking up intensity, even though the tempo is staying exactly the same. Isn't that great? I'm guessing you're not quite sure, right? And yet I would be willing to bet that if you were staring out to western Wisconsin's driftless landscape, soaking in a gorgeous sunset, or sitting down at the Overture Center listening to a a Bach fugue performed with passion and precision, that might be just the word, right? I'm guessing that either one of those things would be deeply moving, deeply stirring to you, even though the technical description of what's going on doesn't have nearly the same effect. See, sometimes describing something kind of destroys it. Sometimes an explanation can actually ruin the experience of that very thing. And the reason I I make that point today is because in these verses that we'll be looking at from Romans chapter 4, Paul is right in the middle of an explanation of a very important topic. He is explaining faith. He is telling us what faith is and what faith does. And he is giving an explanation that is every bit as thorough, every bit as precise, every bit as technical as the two that I just gave to you. And we might be tempted to think that such an explanation is not only unnecessary, but maybe will even ruin the experience. You see, we're, we're tempted to think that each person really ought to be able to, to experience closeness and communion with God, sort of on our, our own terms and in whatever way that we want. We might be tempted to think that when we come to church on Sunday morning, especially a Sunday morning where we lost an hour of sleep, we should kind of keep things easy, keep things very upbeat and inspirational instead of getting bogged down in all of the technical details. Except that, as the saying goes, the devil is often found in those details. And when it comes to this topic especially, faith is one of the most misunderstood topics in all of the Bible, and a misunderstanding of faith actually leads to tragic consequences. And so this explanation that Paul gives, this very thorough, precise, and technical explanation of what faith is and what faith does, is not only exactly what we need, but God willing, it will do the very thing that Paul intended it to do, that far from it ruining our experience, it will actually enhance it. So what exactly is faith? Well, faith can be used in a a variety of different ways, but in this context, in talking about Christian faith and talking about true saving faith, faith is probably best defined by its opposite. Over and over again, Paul in this section defines faith by contrasting it with 
works. Faith is the opposite of work. Now, we might be more inclined to think that faith is the opposite of doubt. That faith means you, you take something that you cannot prove and you believe it rather than doubt it. You accept it rather than question it. And certainly that's part of what it means to have faith. But, but at its very essence, faith is not the opposite of doubt. Faith is the opposite of work. Faith is not doing, but faith is trusting someone else to do something for you. See, it's very easy for, for work to creep into people's understandings of faith. And in fact, one of the ways when you can really realize that that's going on is when certain people, certain classes of individuals are excluded from being capable of having faith. For example, young Rowan Ross, just a couple of weeks old. It's maybe no surprise to you to hear that some people would say that, that a young infant is incapable of having faith and therefore shouldn't be baptized. That's taking faith and works and, and mixing them together. But if faith is the opposite of works, if faith involves zero work, then not only is a young infant capable of having faith, but really a young infant is the epitome of faith because a young infant is dependent on someone else for absolutely everything, right? So faith is the opposite. Faith is trusting someone else to do something for you. But in this context, not just trusting anyone. Paul says that as Christians, we put our faith, we trust the God who justifies the wicked. Now, that's a very condensed, quick version of saying a whole lot about our Christian faith. See, Paul doesn't say that we trust a God who is only just, a God who punishes the wicked, a God who gives the wicked exactly what they deserve. But he also doesn't say that we trust a God who is only loving and merciful, a God who ignores and tolerates the wickedness and decides that wickedness really isn't all that bad after all and can just be forgotten. No, Paul says both. He says that our God is able to take his holy law, his perfect holy law, and without any exceptions, without any loopholes, he is able to take that law and compare it to a world full of people who have broken it at every turn, and he is still able to look at those people and declare them good to justify them. Paul doesn't come out and say it here, but specifically, our trust in God is all wrapped up in the life and death of our Savior Jesus. So faith, trust in God, and specifically what God has done for us in Jesus, trust him for what? Again, not just anything. In these verses, Paul is very specific. He says that faith trusts God for righteousness. Again, when, when we talk about our Christian faith, I think we are more accustomed to talk about trusting God, trusting Jesus for forgiveness. Trusting him to take all of the bad things, all of the wrong things that we've done, and, and take them away. And of course, that is absolutely true. And it's also half of the equation. There's a flip side to it. That we don't simply trust Jesus to subtract all of the badness out of our life. We also trust Jesus to add, to supply all of the goodness that we need to stand before God. That's what righteousness is. It is approval and validation from God. 
You see, we trust Jesus not simply to take away or remove the kinds of things that that cause a person to land in after-school detention or cause their name to appear in a police report or their mugshot on the evening news. We also trust Jesus to give to us, to supply to us the kinds of things that get you nominated for student of the year, the kinds of things that get you invited to be the keynote speaker at some charitable benefit, the kind of things that get you invited to the White House to receive some kind of medal. We trust Jesus not simply to remove all the bad and forgive all of our sins, but also to supply the good, to give us the righteousness, to give us the validation and the approval that we need before God. And if you're anything like me, that's, that's the part of faith that I think is the toughest. I don't know about you, but I don't, I don't walk around too many days thinking to myself, now what am I going to do about all these sins? How am I going to pay for them? How am I going to fix them? How am I going to make up for them? We're very used to, and I think we're very good at leaving that completely in the hands of God and in the work of our Savior, Jesus Christ. But what about the flip side? What about the righteousness, the validation, the approval that all of us desperately crave? Rather than trusting Jesus for that as well, it's, it's so easy to go looking for that elsewhere. This past Friday, I was at a, a basketball tournament at which there were kids participating in a a wide variety of ages from eighth grade all the way down to a few third and fourth graders. And as I watched that tournament, I I realized I was doing something really strange. Every time I would look and I I would see a kid who looked a little bit younger, not an eighth grade, but eighth grader, but somewhere a little bit younger who was really, really good at basketball. I found myself quick looking up that team, looking up that player in the program and figuring out what grade he was in. And the reason was I wanted to do a little bit of math. I wanted to do some projecting. I wanted to think about my kids and how good at basketball they are and the ages that they're at and try and figure out if by the time that they got to be that kid's age, if they would be that good. And if that's not silly enough, the most ridiculous part of it all is that, of course, I was doing that not for them. They don't care. I was doing that for me, right? I was doing that for me because part of my validation Part of my assessment of myself is based on how I am as a parent, how good my kids are at basketball, the grades that they get, their behavior, all of the above. Now, if you're not a parent or you've never had quite that experience, it can be a lot of other things too. We can look to our job for our validation and our righteousness. We can look to the person that we've married for that. We can look to the number of friends that we have. We can look at the amount of money that we make. We can look at what the the bathroom scale says when we stand on it. We can look at what the list of honor roll students says when it's published in the paper. And if you've had that experience like I have where you look for your righteousness, you look for your validation and approval in any of those ways, then I know you've had the experience that I've had when you found those things to be incredibly and constantly disappointing. That when we are looking to those things for our validation and our righteousness, they will always let us down. They will always disappoint. We will constantly come to the conclusion that they are not good enough, not only for us, but but certainly before God. That's why it's so important for us to have this thorough, technical, precise definition of faith that we, we trust in God and what he has done for us in Jesus Christ, not just for the forgiveness of our sins, but also for our righteousness. Because once we understand what faith is, 
then we get to experience the blessings of what faith does. Once we've gotten this thorough, precise explanation, then we get to enjoy the experience. And Paul holds that experience before us in a, in a very interesting way. He points us to the life of one man, the life of Abraham. I think it's probably hard for us to really fully appreciate just how highly the Jewish people thought of Abraham. Maybe you have someone in your family a couple generations back who, who did so much or was such a good person that, that the entire family sort of has their identity and has a lot of their pride connected to that one person in the family. Well, Abraham was that for an entire nation full of people. And by holding Abraham's example in front of us, Paul is essentially saying, if you have the faith that Abraham had, you will have the blessings that Abraham received from that faith. And Paul highlights two of them. The first blessing is simply that, that righteousness, that validation and approval that each one of us so desperately craves. By looking and trusting in Jesus for those things, rather than looking at our, at our job or our family or whatever else, we get in full measure that righteousness that we're after. Paul says that, that what God does is he takes a righteousness that is completely disconnected from our performance. In fact, it's the righteousness that Jesus himself earned with his perfect life, a, a, an incredibly high pile of righteousness that Jesus accumulated during his life on earth. And through faith, God takes the entire thing and he pushes it from Jesus' column over to our column. He takes the entire thing out of Jesus' account and he credits it to our account. Not just some of it, not even just most of it, not, not monthly installments spread over 50 years until the whole thing is ours, but the entire thing all at once. That righteousness that we so desperately crave is completely ours through faith in Jesus. And as a result, we have a God who looks at us and doesn't just not see the bad things. We have a God who looks at us and sees only good things. We have a, a God who looks at us as a father looks at his children and his heart is filled with joy and his eyes beam with pride because he looks at us and he sees Jesus' perfection. The second blessing that Paul highlights is a blessing that comes along with that righteousness. Paul says that, that through faith, not only did Abraham receive this righteousness from God, but he also became heir of the world. Just like in Abraham's day, as is the case in our day, there are all kinds of people who are chasing after the world, who are trying to really grab the world by the tail because they are looking to the world and the things of the world for their righteousness. But what's interesting is that the people who trust Jesus entirely for that righteousness are the people who end up possessing the world. A couple months ago, we went through the life of Abraham in Bible class, and we saw a couple of examples of how this is the case. Maybe you remember there, there was that time when Abraham and his nephew Lot, their, their flocks and their herds were getting to be so big that they had to part company. They had to go separate ways. They couldn't all stay in the same place. Abraham was perfectly happy to let Lot have the first pick of the land and have the best pick of the land. There was another time when Abraham led an incredible heroic military campaign where he rescued four kings from the nations that had invaded them and taken them captive. And one of the kings wanted to give Abraham all of the spoils of war, make him a very rich man. Abraham declined. 
maybe the most famous story of Abraham's life is when God asked Abraham to sacrifice his son, to take his own dear son, his one and only son, up to the top of a high mountain and sacrifice him there. And Abraham demonstrated that he was willing to do it. Now, if we're not looking at those things correctly, we might be tempted to think that in all three of those cases, Abraham is getting the short end of the stick. Abraham is coming out the loser. In reality, the opposite is true. See, because Abraham looked to Jesus for his righteousness, Abraham was set free from everything else, from wealth and from children serving as the source of his righteousness. And rather than chasing after the world, rather than serving the world, Abraham ended up possessing the world and the world instead served him. And friends, that's exactly the same blessing that God wants you and I to enjoy each and every day. There was a Christian author who put this in kind of an interesting way. He said that when you trust Jesus alone for your full righteousness, your full validation and approval, you are able to give everything else in your life a much-needed demotion. You are able to demote everything else in your life. You are able to set it free from a burden that is far too heavy for it to care, the burden of, of supplying you with your validation and approval. And so rather than looking to things like, like kids or job or money for validation, your kids can just be your kids. And your job can just be your job. And your looks can just be your looks. Your friends can just be your friends. Your grades can just be your grades. And you will enjoy those things far more than you ever would if you are looking to them for, for validation and approval. Look to Jesus alone for your righteousness. And you end up inheriting the whole wide world. Look to Jesus for your righteousness and everything else gets thrown in for free. Show that kind of faith. The kind of faith explained in such thorough detail by the Apostle Paul. And, and I promise you and God promises you that you will certainly enjoy the experience. Amen. For more information about Good News Lutheran Church, visit www.goodnewslc.org.